here are six characteristics of effective teams. And what I'd like to have you do is to think about your situation, say, how good and how well-functioning is our team? So if you have a pastor and elders, then you ask, how, how is that team functioning? If you're a lay leader, not one of the elders, uh, what team are you on and how effective is it? If you're a leader, I think a team is helpful. I think it's God's idea. If you have no team whatsoever, I would wonder if you're a leader. Because if, if you think you're leading, but nobody's following, you're just taking a walk. You're not leading at all. Six characteristics of effective teams. Shared vision and goals. There is a clear sense to say, yes, this is where God wants us to go. We see the long picture. We can see clearly where it is God wants us to go. And we're all committed to go there. These are our goals. This, these are our dreams. This is where God has called us to go and for what God has called us to accomplish and what God has called us to become. And those that are on your team share the burden equally with you. It's the burden of leadership that will kill you. And to have people on your team that share that burden with you is critical. And when you're even, even just like if you have a, a part-time secretary or somebody that's helping you in that way, either paid or volunteer, a good team, they'll, they'll say, this is our ministry that we're carrying out. A second is a uh, something about a philosophy of ministry. Common values and philosophy of ministry. They understand the ministry principles that, that are the foundation of, of how the church operates and how they work together. And uh, there's, there's two dimensions to these values. One describes the work that we do, the ministry that we do out there. The other describes the working relationships that we have in terms of how we work together as a team. And so we had different values as a team as we work together. Different values. Different, uh, different kinds of values. And some of, those, some of those values were, in fact, these characteristics of an effective team. In fact, you know these six points? You know how they got developed? I asked my team. What are the key components of good teams? And I took them out to dinner. And I said, help me prepare this lecture. And so they talked. I wrote it down. And I give it to you. See, that's, the, that's part of the value we have of we can listen to each other and learn from each other, etc. But most conflicts on teams happen because there are differing values. For instance, in our team, we had a strong work ethic. Yes. And so somebody that wanted to be a part of the team but wasn't willing to work hard, we would have foreign tissue rejection occur. There's shared values. There's a shared philosophy of ministry that's the core of good teams. Now, teams often have these things, but they haven't talked about them long enough to understand where they really are and what's really important. Third, good teams have complementary strengths. This is the doctrine of spiritual gifts. Not everybody plays the same role. On a football team, there are different positions to be played. And somebody that makes a good goalie does not necessarily make a good forward. I'm about to run out of positions on soccer teams. Und jetzt höre ich auf, denn im Fußball kenne ich mich nicht weiter aus. It was quite exciting when Germany won the won the big cup in what 1990, wasn't it? Was when you took it all? 
Es war interessant, wie andere Menschen kleine Fähnchen schwenkten. Actually, some of your flags weren't so little. They were huge flags. Personality is another way that, that people complement each other. You know how to build a good good team? Identify your areas of non-strength and find people that are strong where you're not strong. So if you ever want to identify my weaknesses, look at my team and identify their strengths and you've got a very good idea. Number four, mutual respect and loyalty. What we're talking about here is things like affirmation. You know, you, you get some hard knocks in ministry. And so therefore you need to be encouraged and affirmed. And a little, little encouragement goes a long ways especially from people you respect. The trust level is high. That you, you expect the best of each other and you assume the best of each other. There's a commitment to each other. When, when one of the team members is criticized in public, you'll defend them. You support each other in public. In private, you may have some discussions and interactions and, and, and deal with stuff, but in public, you're supportive. You know how it is if you grew up in a family that, that had brothers and sisters? I mean, you could beat up on your brother and sister all the time inside the family. But if somebody ever tried to pick on your sister out in public, you'd defend her. Teams are that way. Number five, open and constructive communication. Receptive to evaluation. You know, willing to have your life and ministry evaluated by your other team members. The teams I function on, we have a high degree of openness. But if it lingers more than two days, I need to deal with it and talk with the person and get it straightened out. Along with this, intera along with this open communication is an interactive style. I get nervous when there's too much agreement right off the, right off the bat. Because it's through different perspectives that you begin to understand more fully what it is God might be trying to say. So that's open and constructive communication. And number six, relational and productive. So in other words, you know how to have fun together and you get the job done. See, some teams focus on one or the other. It's either all work, 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 work. Those are boring teams to get on. They get tiring. There's other teams that all they want to do is party. Let's talk and share. They have a wonderful time, but nothing happens for the kingdom of God. See, but the kingdom of God means to be in relationship with one another and to do the work that God wants you to do. Being and doing. Becoming what God wants you to become and doing what God wants you to do. That's a good team. Now, to, to, to do this type of thing, to get this type of a team, takes, a, takes an investment. How many of you have uh, uh, more than one pastor on your, on your staff team, either part-time or full-time? Can I see your hands? See, what it takes is time together. It takes time to make it happen. And so taking a, a, a time away just to, uh, in a retreat setting from time to time is, is very helpful. More extended periods of time are very valuable. But you have to figure out what's going to work for your situation. Okay, what I'd like to have you do is, is, is evaluate your own team. Say, where are we strong and where do we need to improve? Okay, take a few minutes to reflect on this. There's enough time to do God's will. And God does not load us down with more stuff than we're able to do. He understands that we're human, and He understands that we have limitations. So that God is not the one that overloads us. We are the ones that overload ourselves. Because there may not be enough time 
to do God's will and to do a bunch of other things that aren't necessarily His will. Things that are good. I'm not talking about doing sin here. I'm just talking about doing good things. And so therefore, we have to think through what are the key relationships that I have? What are, the, what are the responsibilities I have in those relationships? How can I construct a, a lifestyle within a time schedule that fulfills those responsibilities? And in, in ministry, I always like to encourage people to do one thing and do it well. And I find that most churches try to do way too much. They keep people way too busy doing stuff that's not very productive. And there's, there's an important word that needs to be learned and said. Any ideas what that word is? It's a very simple word. You got it. In fact, let's practice that. It's the hardest word for pastors and church leaders to say. So I know some of you are going to have a very hard time saying this. So on the count of three, I'd like to have you say no. Because I've thought through what my priorities are, and I've set up a lifestyle and a schedule that allows me to fulfill those responsibilities. Now, that doesn't mean you don't take the unexpected thing. But you need to walk with the guidance of the Holy Spirit to know when to say yes and when to say no to the unexpected thing that comes in. Because God does give us mid-course corrections in the midst of our day. But sometimes those requests that come in are distractions away from what God still wants you to do. And as we walk by the power of the Spirit, we can increasingly have a sense of peace and rest as we carry out what God has called us to. All the more reason why a process of reflection and refocusing is necessary. And the, re, the re, leaders that fail to do that process of evaluation and refocusing will get overburdened. If you are consistently overburdened, I'm not talking about those short-term times when, when things get hectic. That, those, that's part of life. If you are consistently overloaded, I can tell you one thing with absolute certainty. There's at least one thing that you are doing, although it might be good, that is not God's will for you. Think of Jesus. Nobody was in demand like he was in demand. And yet he had a peace as he walked through life, carrying out the assignments that God wanted him to. Yes, he had. Yes, he got tired. But what was his secret? He got away to pray and to get his direction from the Father. I would suggest he had an evaluation and a refocusing process that went on day by day by day as he walked with God. Which brings us back to the devotional this morning, which ties it integrally into the whole process of church management.